Hey, how's your New Year's resolutions going? Are you okay? Are you, did anything change? I mean, we get to that time of the year where we hope that something's going to change, that you're making some life change for the better. I hope that you're doing okay with that. I hope that something's stirred in you to bring about that change. You know what? Um, tonight, as I share about our vision, I'm not sharing about another resolution. I'm not sharing about something that you can just tack on top of something that's there. I just want to release something that you already are. If you're a Christ follower, if you're of his way, if you are in love with him and desire to serve after him, I just want to spark something that's already inside of you that you don't have to add to a list of things to do. You just simply have to jump in the river and let it take you away. Does that sound all right? Sound good? How many of you might have made a resolution to do with technology to say, I'm going to go less of technology? Anyone? Hold up your hand if you've got a a phone, a smartphone on you right now. Just go on, go on, show it to me. All right. Well, here's a resolution. Don't use it in the next 30 minutes. All right. That's good. We'll use our technology. You can pull up the Bible on, on, on the side there and you can read through that. You know what? It's, it's funny to think that computers are just such a part of our life. I mean, we have them with us all of the time. We work on them at work. Whether you go into a cafe, you're swiping up to get your rewards on a computer. You know, uh, we have them in our homes. We have them in all those sort of places. And it's crazy, absolutely crazy. I'm just going to blow some of you young people away right now. When I was growing up, We did not have a computer at home. I didn't have computers at school. Now, I didn't use Slate, okay? We'd gone to paper by this stage. Only the teachers used Slate on a big blackboard. That's about it. But no, you know, uh, there was, yeah, Ray's going, yeah, I use Slate. (laughs) So no, I mean, we're just so used to computers. We use them all of the time for absolutely everything. But just two generations ago, the chairman of IBM at that time said the world market is only for about five computers. That's what he said. The president of IBM said there's no more need for anything more than about five computers throughout the whole world. That was just two generations ago. In 1977, um, the president of the digital equipment company claimed that there is no reason that anyone would want a computer in their home. No reason. No one. Now we're sticking them in our fridges so that we can work out what to shop for and when something's gone off. I mean, it's just absolutely crazy. It's turnaround to think in just that short period of time, in the last 40 years or so, that computers have just absolutely changed the world. And, you know, we have a couple of people really to thank for that. This guy called Stephen Jobs and his mate Stephen Wozniak. Now, these two guys, they, they developed a way in which to take what at that time was a whole room full of computer, a whole you know, way in which all of this thing worked, a massive environment, and bring it down to something that could fit on your desk, a home computer. And these two guys, they went to Atari, you know, the gaming company, and they went to Atari back then, and they said, how about this for an idea? Look at that. They didn't want to you know, get rich and famous. They just wanted a job. They wanted an income so that they could keep working on their idea. And Atari said, nope, nope, thank you. They went to Hewlett Packard. Oh, what a mistake. Hewlett Packard said, no, nah, not interested in what you're having to offer. We don't think there's a market for it. 
And so uh, the two guys, the two Steves, they got together. Steve Jobs thought, this is absolutely going to change the world. I, I am, I'm all in. And he sold his car. He had a Volkswagen and he sold that, right? You know the story. Wozniak, you know what he sold? He chipped in. He sold his calculator. That's why you know Apple as, and relate that to Steve Jobs. Right there, that's the reason. Nothing to do with what happened afterwards. Right there. Guy sells his calculator. Thank you very much. $1,300 is what they got for both of those. I don't know which one was worth more, but that's what happened. Here they are, and they're off, and they start their own company. And it just goes gangbusters. That company was called Apple. It was named after uh, Steve Jobs' fond memories of working in an apple orchard over a summer break. And Apple has just gone and, and destroyed the market or, you know, blessed the market, whatever way you want to look at it. Which, as far as Hewlett Packard were concerned, they just got smashed for a while there. And, and it just went on. The rest is history. We, we knew we use their products all of the time. Got to a point in the history of Apple that he said, I need some help in managing this. It's just way too big. He approached a, a, a guy who was at that time he was the president of Pepsi, Cola. This guy's name was uh, John Scully, and, and, and Scully, he approached him and he said, come work for me, come work for Apple. And the guy said, you've got to be joking. I'm the president of the, one of the biggest, you know, uh, soda companies in the whole of the world. I, why would I come work for you? you, know, you I, I don't think you can even pay me. And so the conversation went cold. He, he approached him again, and he approached him again, and he approached him one last time, and he played with him, and he said this, and this is the comment, this is the statement that changed Um, Scully's mind forever and this is what it was Jobs said do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugar water or do you want a chance to change the world do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugared water or do you want to change the world and I think Jesus comes to us in the same way today, and he asks us the same question, and he says to us, do you want to spend the rest of your life making sugared water, selling sugared water, or do you want a chance to be able to change the world? See, most of us spend our lives trying to make sugared water. We, we go to work, we accumulate more possessions, we go after more power, we go after more prestige, we go after all the, the toys and the things that we think are just going to accumulate and make us better for all of those things. And Jesus comes to us and, and he says, I don't want you to just put me into the, the spare time that you might have after you're going all after that. He says to us, what I actually want you to do is to put me as the number one cause for why you live. Because it's through you I want to change the world. It's through you I want to change the world. And he comes to us with the same invitation tonight. Do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water? Or do you want a chance to change the world? Colossians 1.8 tells us that Jesus is, is in charge of his church. He is, you know, the head of the body of this thing we love called the church. And it's from Jesus that we gain both our vision and we gain our cause. And today on Vision Sunday, I want us to turn again to the reason. I want us to turn again to the, the meaning and the hope that we have as a vision for our church. And we've been singing about him. We've been drawing about him. We've been dancing for him. We've been shouting from up here about him. And and his name is Jesus. Jesus really is the answer. He really is. You see, Jesus had this cause. He began his earthly ministry in a, a synagogue, a Jewish place of worship. 
And he, and he started by teaching. He stood up in front of those who were gathered there that day. And he turned himself to the, to the scroll of Isaiah. And, and he pulled out and part of what we now know as Isaiah 61. And you can find this in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. And he read this out. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And throughout the Gospels, and we're going to be touching on uh, and throughout the Gospel of Luke tonight as we go in our message together, and throughout this Gospel, Jesus time and time again reaffirms this mission statement through the words that he speaks. But more important than that, through the ministry of his, his healing and his provision and his preaching and his teaching and his coming to set people free and deliver them. Jesus personified love, a love that was declared and a love that was demonstrated. This was his reason for being born. This was his reason for living. This was his reason for being prepared to die. And he called others into this mission. After a period of, I guess, like an apprenticeship, really, the disciples who were hanging on every word he said and who were loyal to follow after him and learn from him, there came this, this moment in their lives when Jesus handed over the mantle of this mission and said, you've been watching me for long enough. You've been watching me declare love. You've been watching me demonstrate love. Now it's your turn. You would go out and do as I have done. And he gathered these 12 together and he sent them out. We read about it in Luke chapter 9 in the first six verses. It says, when Jesus called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, then shake the dust off your feet. And when you leave their town as a testimony against them. And so they set out and went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. Preaching and healing, declaring and demonstrating. There was always a declaration and there was always a demonstration of what the kingdom looks like. As followers of Jesus that shared in his ministry and uh, they started to take a hold and they started to understand what this was all about. As the power of the living God started to work through them to heal people and to touch people and to share this good news with them and see them come alive, see them set free, see them with a hope for the future started to be imparted. They started to make clear what, what this was all about. And Jesus said, if you want in on this cause, if you want in on this mission, it's actually going to cost you. It's not something that comes cheap. It's not something that comes easy. In Luke 9, Jesus said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. He goes on to say, If anyone is ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of them when I come into my glory. Later in Luke chapter 14, Jesus says, If you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow after me, 
healing the sick, if you want to be a part of the raising of the dead, if you want to be part of teaching them what the kingdom looks like and and declaring to them and demonstrating this love, then I'm asking you to give up everything. I'm asking you to give up family. I'm asking you, you've got to be prepared to put everything under my lordship. It's got to come under me, Jesus said. And when that happens, you're going to be the sort of people who can actually change the world. No sooner these disciples found this wonderful new way of living, a Jesus way of living, where love declared and demonstrated was just a normal part of everyday life, where they, they were healing the sick, where they were telling the good news about who Jesus was. This Messiah who'd come, no, no longer, no sooner had that started to just take real effect in their lives than Jesus was betrayed and arrested and hung on a tree to be crucified. I can't imagine what they were thinking at that point in time. These disciples must have been absolutely completely thrown into emotional turmoil. This guy whose authority we worked under, who sent us out to do this, it was by him. What, what's going to happen now? And some of them denied Jesus, some of them walked away, some of them just hid in a hole. They just, their commitment to the cause kind of ceased. Then after that, the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. And as he rose from the dead, the disciples once again rejuvenated and excited towards this cause. They saw Jesus with flesh on, they they saw him again. And as he spoke to them, as he gave these instructions to them, he reignited a fire in their hearts, not to be just a label, but to actually live the way he was living, to be called to live for this cause, a cause that was worth not only living for, but as the disciples would find out, a cause that was worth dying for. The Christian church began with about 120 believers gathered in Jerusalem after Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus gives them the instruction in the power of the Holy Spirit over a 40-day period in which they began to really understand all that Jesus had taught them, all that Jesus had spoken about. The whole fuller meaning of the gospel and what its implications are as they understood the life that they were being drawn into where Jesus is in control. They finally understood his cause They realized the victory he had for them over death, the eternal life that they would receive, the abundant life that they could live now, and and the spiritual blessings that are unimaginable. They understood the incredible privilege of being these agents in his cause, the seeking and the saving of fallen humanity so that they might have also these same privileges. There are no longer any doubts. They are no longer ashamed of his cause They're no longer ashamed of the name of Jesus. They're prepared to lay everything on the line. And Jesus gathers them together in his final words. In Acts chapter 1 we read, Do not leave Jerusalem, he says, but wait for the gift of the Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon them. 
manifestations of violent wind and tongues of fire and supernatural speaking, the ability to tell and talk in another language to be able to share the gospel. And Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, stands up and speaks to a crowd. And the same people, the same crowd that just weeks earlier had crucified Jesus, 3,000 of them came into a saving knowledge of Jesus. 3,000 people in the one day came to know Jesus. That's got to stir something in you. If you've known and you've tasted of the love of Jesus in your life, if there's something that's been stirred in you that you know the name of your Savior, that you know what He's done to forgive you, to set you free, to heal you, to restore you, and to bring you into the blessings that you currently sit in, that is wonderfully good news. 3,000 more people who are destined for a place and existence without the presence and the love of God, saved for all eternity. Wow. I want to remind you that those words that Jesus spoke over the disciples when he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth, that same Holy Spirit It's the same Holy Spirit who brought you to salvation. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. It's the same Holy Spirit that creates the miracles of today that lives inside of you. And his invitation for you not to just live your life selling sugared water, but to live your life that would change the world is totally applicable and possible for you today because Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Absolutely good news. You know, from its meager beginnings of the Christian church, and these are some stats that Rodney Stark, who's not even a, you know, he's a secular writer, talks about these observations. The Christian church boasted about 25,000 members at about AD 100. So, you know, the early church is starting up, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s sort of thing. And then by AD 100, there was about 25,000 Christians in the known world of about 40 million people at that time. That's 0.06% of the population. Listen what happened. As they were love declared, as they were love demonstrated, as they were prepared to live for and lay down their life for the cause of Jesus and lived everything in his name. Listen to what happened in the following 200 years. By the end of AD 300, the estimated church population was 27 million people out of a known population of 60 million people. That's a staggering 45%. In 200 years, they went from 0.06% of the population to 45% of the population because they were able to live out the cause of Jesus. That's absolutely staggering. And this was achieved by an illegal, persecuted church that possessed no buildings, no fancy anything. They met in homes, they met in caves, they didn't have the written word of God like we have access to now. They literally gave their lives at time because as an illegal organization, they could be put to death for believing in Jesus. 
by speaking his name, by demonstrating his love and declaring the way. But this church was a missional church that went out to reach people everywhere with this good news. It was so incarnational that just like Jesus, they lived amongst those whom they sought to reach, identified with them, immersed in their culture, developed indigenous communities of faith. They operated in the supernatural and the miraculous as a normal way of life. Under this paradigm, people were one to Christ, were called followers of of the way, committed to the cause of Jesus. 25,000 to 27 million. And in the year AD 313, Constantine made the church legal, made it state religion, Christianity, in and through Europe where Rome had its empires. And those that were attracted to the church made a commitment to Christ, become known as Christians. And at that point in time, things just started to plateau out a little. Because being a Christian no longer uh, was associated necessarily with, with, with the, the prepared to live and die for the cause. But was much more about adhering to a set of principles, a set of uh, 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 observations to a, a way of, of, of religious attitude. And when religion got a hold and, and, and the church became institutionalized, things just started to not grow as fast as they had. The term church started to mean a building rather than a, a dynamic community of revolutionary people with social and spiritual believers on mission for Jesus and committed to his cause. Even more disappointing was the change that in both personal and corporate spiritual life, the church ceased to be the body of Christ's disciples and became an institution. What would it take to have Christ and his cause possess and motivate us like it did the early church? What would it take to have the excitement of the early church flow through our veins? What would it take to make a profound impact for the kingdom of God today where we would see a population who are probably less than 10% in Australia today climb up in the next census to be something where really those who put their name and stood on what they believe move it up from around 10% up to about 45%? What would it take? All of us in leadership feel absolutely certain that this year's focus here at River Life must be love declared, love demonstrated. For us to communicate both in word and deed the message of salvation to this community and the wider city of Brisbane. We believe that God is saying to us as a church, this is just the beginning There are thousands of people who matter to him who are not yet in the family of God. We feel that God is counting on the witness of this church to burn brighter than it ever has before, to become a beacon of hope to people who are lost and facing a Christless eternity. We feel that God is asking us to cast the gospel message here, there, everywhere and be free with it because there are lots of people who are yet to hear it. As of today, River Life, the starting gun goes off. We charge into a future that is going to be marked with evangelistic intensity. 
It doesn't start with me making some big statement here from the front on Vision Sunday. The kingdom of God advances one life at a time. It happens when your heart is changed and you see lost people come to Christ. It changes when you start to actually see lost people like he does. With the compassion and the grace and the mercy. When you understand that there's a heaven and a hell and real people go there forever. Our goal is to release you. And empowered people who will declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. Love declared, love demonstrated. There are so many people in our lives that we encounter every day who need Jesus. We need to go. We need to declare and demonstrate what we have. We're called individually to the lost. We're called corporately to the lost. To build relationship with them. To bring a demonstration of kingdom power at work. And when the opportunity presents itself to be able to share a bold witness of Christ and invite them to know more. What does that look like? That looks like you, us, a people reaching out in compassion every day around, to those around us. I pray that River Life would unleash unprecedented levels of compassion to our society, to the people we rub shoulders with, to the people that we live with. It looks like people sharing the name of Jesus and the message of salvation. People speaking openly about the faith and about their faith. It's us reaching out to our neighbours who don't yet know Jesus, our work colleagues who don't yet know Jesus. If you're a student, to the student body, to, to those in your family, to whoever it might be, that we would be free with this gospel message, both demonstrated and declared in every single way we can think of. Boldly praying for the sick, waiting on God to listen to him for others, giving them that word of knowledge that can change their life in a moment. People living out of love and in deep generosity, giving away to them, putting others before themselves, putting a shut. Just simply, if we are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus, this will happen. If we are unashamed of the name of Jesus, this will happen. Over this year, we want every single person who considers themselves here a Christ follower at River Life to be trained in how they can share their good news story, to be able to listen to, and to learn to what it looks like to, to love on a lost world with compassion and to live intimately with Jesus so we have evangelistic impact everywhere we go. Beyond that, we're going to start to turn up the thermostat on our weekend services. We're going to give more and more opportunities here for a presentation of the gospel. Opportunities for people to experience uh, God at work as we continue to pray for people who are coming with real needs in their lives. We're going to ha- open up uh, the, the doors to people and, and run Alpha so that they can come and know what Christianity is all about. We're going to provide outreaches across every demographic, every age group, every you know, cross-section of the church that you can think of so that you would have the opportunity to reach out to your friends. You know, we talk about sign up for life groups. We've got about 1,000 people of the 4,000 people who are connected to this church in life groups. About 1,000. 
I consider those probably the committed people, right? They're the ones who love Jesus because they want to get in a group with somebody else and learn more about him, experience him, do life together, bless others with what he's given to you. Imagine that in your life group, just those thousand committed people were committed to actually reach out to one more person, fill that empty chair in their group. And every single one of them reached out to one person in the next 12 months. A thousand more people could come into the kingdom of Jesus. A thousand people in 12 months. Can you imagine it? Well, three in one day is a pretty good start for the church. I reckon Holy Spirit wouldn't mind adding a thousand in a year. What do you think? But it's going to start with you. You're the empowered people. You're the ones to be released. You're the ones who know people I don't know, who will never come and hear a gospel message being given to them. But you can, you do. It's your life rubbing off on their life. That's where it's really going to make the difference. It's in you. He's in you. And a verse that just keeps coming back to me in these days that I've been preparing for this, this message is in Romans 1.16. And it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel because the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. See, Jesus is our hero. He's the cause we live for. He's our confidence. It's not a program, it's not an event, it's not in a new church building. It's not in all of these things and these wonderful things that we might have. Our confidence is in Him. We're unashamed of Him. He really is the answer. If you found Him to be the answer in your life, you can be bold and confident He's going to be the answer in somebody else's. We just need to be unashamed of Jesus. He's still changing hearts and lives. That's why you're here today. Someone told you an incredible good news that Jesus died for sinners and you believed it. Look at you now. It's changed your life. It's changed your heart forever. That message is going to go out with frequency and power like never before. Up until now, up until I think the completion of our building here at 70 Mile Rocks, kind of felt like we were stuck in second gear. Just stuck like in second gear evangelistically, you know? But I wasn't meant to function in second gear. I don't know about you. I don't think you were meant to function in second gear either. My rev count is too high in second gear. I want to keep changing up. I want to keep going further. And I know that's in you as well. No more second gear, people. It's pedal down. We're going forward. Have a look to the seat to your left and to the right. There's probably somewhat spare right near you. There's two whole back sections that aren't even touched tonight. Those, those chairs have names on them. The names of people who need to know Jesus as their saviour. They're the names of your friends. They're the names of your colleagues. They're the names of your workmates. They're the names of you know, people in your street, your neighbours. The names of your family members who don't yet know Jesus. There's room for them here. Will you restore your commitment to the cause? You see, when the church got institutionalized, religion kept in, and we were known more by a set of values we lived by rather than a love declared and a love demonstrated, things started to plateau out a little bit. 
But right now, all around the world, where the church is being declared, where the gospel is being declared, where love is being demonstrated, where the kingdom of God is breaking in, the church is growing faster than absolutely any other religion in the world. I pray that it had happened here. I pray that we would be so blown away by a move of God's Holy Spirit amongst us here at River Life, a move that would literally touch the rest of the world. That's what I'm praying for. And that's what I'm asking you to join us in. Because as we all align our lives to this call, the compelling desire will be to live for Jesus. Over the coming weeks, we're going to talk about what love declared and love demonstrated looks like. But to be this truly missional church, passionately committed to Jesus and his cause, that's so incredibly exciting. I just can't wait to see your friends and your neighbors, your loved ones here. It's going to require us, though, to take the vision of the church seriously and on that foundation to reach out to those who don't yet know Jesus. So today's your opportunity that I'm giving you to jump on board. We're going that way. I'd like you to come with us. And the invitation is that you'd, you'd be a part of that. And I wanted it to be something that you would remember. I wanted it to be something that you could just do and, and think, you know, not have to think too much about as you just live out your life, love declared, love demonstrated. It doesn't mean you all have to jump on River Life staff. It doesn't mean you have to go to Bible college. It doesn't mean all of those things. It just means that every day where you are, that you would be committed to anyone, anywhere, anytime to demonstrate Christ's love, to declare his love to them. You reckon that's within reach? I think it is. I think that's in reach for every single one of us. And so I want to give you something to remind you. And the pastor is just going to be available and they're just going to stand down the front. They're going to hold a bunch of these cards. It's got a little logo on it that just says, Love Declared, Love Demonstrated. I want you to take I want you to pop it in your wallet. I want you to do something with it where you would see it regularly. Put it on your dashboard of your car so that when you're giving friends a lift, they say, what does that mean? And you have an opportunity to tell them. Put it on your computer at work. Put it on the back of your phone case. Put it somewhere where you're going to have opportunity to remind yourself and to remind others that we as a church are about love declared, love demonstrated demonstrated and so as we enter into worship as we just kind of abandon ourselves to that cause why don't you come forward why don't you grab a hold of one of those and then a little later I'm just going to pray for you on the back it says for I am not ashamed of the gospel for I believe it is the power of God that brings salvation to everybody who would believe. So if you're not afraid, you're not ashamed, you want to go out tomorrow, you want to go out later tonight, you want to just go out to say, you know what? I'm unashamed of this gospel. I'm unashamed of the name of Jesus. You just watch what he'll do. You watch what he'll take you to do. Unashamed of this gospel, unashamed of Jesus. And it's like we're going to walk out of this door tonight. We're going to walk into a whole new week. We're going to walk out into a whole new year where River Lifers will be known because they are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus. They'll be unashamed of His name. That we would be prepared to be able to declare the name of Jesus and demonstrate the kingdom of God wherever we go. Love declared, love demonstrated. I just want to pray a blessing over you in the name of Jesus. 
I bless you. I bless you in his most wonderful and mighty name. Father God, we pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, with a great anointing upon your church. God, an anointing that would take us out in healing, that would take us in deliverance, God, that we would see people set free, that they would come into a saving knowledge of you, Jesus, that they would come to be a part of the family of God. Father, we pray that you would send us to the far-flung places of the world with this name upon our lips, with this name upon our hearts, with this name embraced upon our sleeves, on our shoulders, on our hands as we get ourselves dirty in the ways and the things of God for the sake of the world. Jesus, take a hold of these people who now hold up your card. Holy Spirit, come upon them with power that they might have influence and authority and blessing. And Father, I pray that your name would be heralded as great everywhere we go. A love that is declared and a love that is demonstrated in Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, Amen. Let it be. Let it be.